We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Yes, Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The world awaits with bated breath yet another announcement from the White House later on today. Will President Donald Trump decide to blow the Iranian nuclear deal out of the water? Will he row back on his promise to fix the mess, as he describes it? Or will it be another masterstroke of diplomacy, like the one that appears to be leading to peace on the Korean Peninsula? Either way, I think everyone should be supporting Boris Johnson and several House Republicans in their wish for Trump to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, being opposed to it on the grounds that he's not a very very nice man is of course the fashionable position but that's not the position we'll be adopting on this show certainly not the one I'm adopting anyway have you seen the list of people that have won it already 0344 499 uh, Daisy McAndrew is here with me very good morning to you Daisy I'm good sure morning. you will have some interesting <laughs> things to say about Ms, Ms, Mr I, Trump I might surprise you yes it totally sticks in my throat the idea of him being nominated for him getting it I mean the idea of him accepting it and how incredibly yeah. smug he be however I see that that's not a particularly strong stance to take but I have I have an issue with the whole process. I have an issue with the Nobel Committee that okay. makes these decisions. All right. so well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Coming up, we'll also be addressing once more the violence on our streets after a particularly bloody holiday weekend. And we'll be finding out just why tourists should be footing the bill yet again for the world's carbon footprint. Why is it always our fault? 0344 And following Adele's success with her Titanic party, we're going to be asking what's the most ridiculous outfit you've worn to a fancy dress do? You can tweet us at Talk Radio. And if you're really lucky, Daisy will put out a picture <laughs> of her in her favourite fancy dress outfit for a very recent party. I don't know if that's a promise or a threat. Uh, yeah, well, it depends how well-behaved people are out there. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, Donald Trump this afternoon, according to his own Twitter, uh, is going to announce whether uh, he's going to d- uh, back the Iranian mis- uh, missile deal, the nuclear deal, or whether, in fact, he's going to walk away from it. He says it's going to all come out of the White House at 2pm. Uh, so, Christopher, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I'm going to tell you the last time we met later on, because you probably haven't remembered it, but never mind. Um, What is going on with Donald Trump, and do you think that he should be nominated uh, under the present circumstances for the Nobel Peace Prize? Well, let's take the Nobel Peace Prize first. Under the present circumstances, absolutely not. But who knows by the end, say, of his presidency. I mean, if he were to bring peace to the Korean Peninsula, if he were to stick with the Iranian nuclear deal, if he didn't set off a war somewhere else in the Middle East or elsewhere in the world, then I think he'd be a, possibly a candidate. For, but uh, but are, you not, are you not guilty of being one of those fashionable people holding him up to a much higher standard than everybody else? Because there's plenty of people uh, who were nominated and, in fact, won it without any of that, that sort of stringent and, and very high-ranking uh, criteria. Well, I mean, we're not talking about particularly stringent criteria. I don't think we're talking about criteria any different from in the past. After all, as Boris Johnson said on American television, uh, Barack Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize before he'd done anything. Well, exactly. So, so some, some, curious, uh, some curious anomalies. But I think if you look at the whole list of people who've got the Peace Prize, it's basically on attainment, on things that they have actually done. So despite... Uh, Trump's lurid personality if he were actually to achieve things. Yes. And we don't know. The jury's far out on this. 
um, then, as I say, and as Boris Johnson said, he could be a candidate. He could be. So, Christopher, can I Stranger ask you... things have happened. Can I ask you a wider question about the whole Nobel Peace Prize, the way it works? Because it does seem to me that we tend to think of Nobel Prizes as very holier-than-thou, whiter-than-white. Mm. But actually, this the Peace Prize Committee is deeply political. It's not sort of, um, it, it's not how we think of the rest of the committees being made up of experts. It's made up of politicians who, who mirror the Norwegian parliament, which has always struck me as rather odd. Well, Daisy, <laughs> I've come onto this interview to talk about Trump, and now you want me to talk about the composition of, of the Nobel Prize. But I know I'm you're more than capable, Sir Christopher. No, you've straddled <laughs> many worlds, have you not, Sir Christopher, in no, your no, time? I mean, hang on, guys. All I know is it's a bunch of Swedes and a bunch of Norwegians. Um, and I know no more than that. They make very um, good crime dramas, but whether they're great judges of character <laughs> remains to be seen. But let's go back to, to Trump in the end, because what I'm saying, Sir Christopher, is that basically you're saying it's all right for Barack Obama to get one, it's OK for Henry Kissinger to get one, it's even OK for Nelson Mandela to get one. However, you know, in order for Donald Trump to get one, he has to uh, have somehow managed to avoid getting into a war and he has to have managed to create peace in two massively oh. conflicted regions of the world. OK, all right. Well, let, 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 let me simplify it a bit. I mean, Henry Kissinger got one because he helped to bring peace um, to an incredibly dangerous and warlike situation uh, in, in Vietnam. Yeah, but even he didn't agree with it. No, but it was controversial yeah. at the time because actually peace didn't, didn't arrive. All I'm saying to you, I'm only giving you a very straightforward proposition. Mm. If Trump does something uh, like bringing peace to the Korean Peninsula uh, and like being in the Iranian nuclear deal, which I don't think he will do, although he may soften the edges a bit today, um, then he, he would be a candidate. But, I mean, looking at this geopolitically as opposed to, to the acts of Nobelian Norwegians or Swedes or whoever they are, um, you know... To, to press for nuclear uh, denuclearization in Korea and to repudiate the deal, stop. Your phone line has suddenly gone very strange, Sir Christopher. I don't know if we should uh, uh, try and make okay, that better. How about that? Oh, that's that's better. better. Yeah, that's better. There was some, it was some interloper trying to get in on the mm. line. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Yeah, I mean, we've got to look at this strategically. I mean, to pursue nuclear... Uh, denuclearization in the Korean Peninsula and at the same time to cover up Iranian deal is not entirely consistent and it may result actually in Kim Jong-un going cold on the whole idea. So these are the kinds of things you've got to take into account, I assume, when you're considering whether he would deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. But I mean, you said you said in present circumstances, no way in present circumstances, two years out from now, maybe. And can I ask you about Donald Trump's method of diplomacy? Because, of course, some think that it, it's total madness. Some people think there is method in his madness. And, in fact, he is trying to appear almost insane so that his counterparts don't know which way he's going to jump next and that that is the, the method. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, there is some method in the madness. Um, it's not entirely incoherent narcissism as he gets up in the morning and reaches for his mm. Twitter page on his laptop. There, there is something there, and I think one of the things he has learned from doing business in New York City is that if you can be a disruptor of conventional wisdom, catch mm. people by surprise, have, have them dodging one way and you move the other, uh, this can bring dividends. Of course, for the, the, the foreign policy establishment, people like me, 
it's uh, it sends us into screaming fits of <laughs> paroxysms. Yes. Well, I mean, the thing is, right? I mean, don't 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 you think though? Can work. Don't yeah. I was going to say, don't you think that he's sort of creating a bit of a pattern here, where he comes out like he did with uh, with Kim Jong Un and called him little rocket man, and you know threatened him with fire and fury and all sorts of other things from the skies. And I mean, then he came to the table. So he he likes to issue the odd threat, doesn't he, Trump? He likes you to to think that he's going to do the absolute worst possible scenario and then walk back from it, so that you feel as if you've somehow managed to convince him. And I think Boris Johnson's now joining in because Johnson, I think, is kind of um praying to his uh, uh to his his sort of self-importance and his ego by saying you know if you can get peace in, in iran you'll get the nobel peace prize hoping that trump might fall for it well i mean i mean boris didn't think uh, was not the originator of that thought i think the white house itself was the originator yes. of that thought uh, a few days ago but flattery clearly does get you uh, somewhere with donald yeah trump. the thing is uh, all this uh, little rocket man stuff, I think you can pull that trick once and then you can't do it again because mm. people get wise to what you're up to. The other thing I would say about the, the Korean business is that there are other big players pushing for peace above all China. And I suspect that the People's Republic of China actually have more influence over Kim Jong-un uh, than does South Koreans. So there are a number of players in the scale would be a Nobel Peace Prize for Korea, um, there will be a number of contenders. It would not just be Donald Trump. Uh, it would, I think, probably be, believe it or not, uh, Kim Jong-un and the South Korean president, whose name I forgot. No, indeed. Well, his name is much less easy to remember than Kim Jong-un's, to be honest. And it's, it, it, He may well be a footnote in history. Let me just ask you, as your phone line's playing up a little bit again, uh, Sir Christopher. Oh. Finally, uh, Bill Clinton uh, was in uh, the White House when you were the, the ambassador for, uh, to the United States from, from the yeah. UK. I mean, he was a guy who uh, did many things that Donald Trump has done, uh, and some might argue did them uh, in more brazenly, if you like, without going into the details of this time of the morning. Um, you know, and yet he was a nice guy, so everybody didn't mind. Are we talking about sex? Yeah. Is that, is, is that the dreaded word? Can that I is the word that? you can say. Yeah, it's not, it's not the yeah. other words you can say. No. Well, th- the thing that happened to Bill was he got, he got caught out with, with Monica Lewinsky. And Congress, or at least the House of Representatives, did try to impeach him. But the, the level of evidence didn't rise. Well, they did the in the level. end impeach him, didn't they? And then he was kind of no. pardoned and it was all very kind of much hushed up. But he, no, you know as well as I do. But you know, But you know as well as I do, Sir Christopher, that it wasn't just Monica Lewinsky. There were many, many stories written. There were many, many women. There were loads of episodes similar to, to the ones that, 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 that followed Trump around. And yet, because he was a Democrat, somehow he got away with it. Well, I think... There is an added dimension of luridness to the stories about Trump. And this is something I really can't mention uh, uh, on the radio at this time in the morning. There is that episode allegedly in a Moscow hotel. And then there is a question, and and this is verifiable, of what he said to one of his his mates about how you should approach women. Uh, I'll say no no more. Now, whatever charges you might level against uh, uh, Bill Clinton... There was never anything that sunk uh, to that level. And so is it a matter of degree, then? Is that the point? 
Well, I think it is a matter of degree and a matter of luridness mm. and a matter of how blatant this may be. But you know as well as I do, Colin, it's not that simple because politically speaking, there's all kinds of uh, prices to be paid. I mean, Sadiq Khan has been all over the place at the weekend on Twitter. I think he's done an interview with the BBC this morning talking about uh, increasing police patrols, uh, making people in London safe. I mean, I'm not sure he can make people in London safe. Others are saying, well, it's the Tories' fault because they were the ones that chopped the uh, police budgets and all that. This morning, there's a story of doing the round where apparently eight million quid has been spent by Scotland Yard on luxury first-class travel. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the frontline cuts are still going ahead. So there's an awful lot of strings to this particular bow. Oh, obviously, there, there, there's, there's. I mean, basically, both sides of the political spectrum are to this. I mean, the left-wing media hate the police because uh, for years they've described us as racist because we were stopping so much, too many young black people, and they call us racist. And now, now the fact is, we, you can see for yourself, well, we're not racist. We're just doing what we're doing. You can see how many young black males are dead, and equally, the right-wing press hate us because we're, we dare to challenge Theresa May. So there is no political support for the for the police out there. There's no media support for us out there. Very few people support us. But the fact is you can see the effect of what happens. If you take away our power, you give criminals class bonds to do what they can on the streets. Yeah. They can walk around with the knives. They can, they can moped crime. Look at that. Thousand percent increase because we're not allowed to uh, chase them at all. Well, right. You give criminals... You give criminals the opportunity to do what they want, then what do you expect is going to happen? We had a professor of uh, of criminality on uh, last week, and I was quite surprised by some of the things that he had to say. Well, actually, sorry, it was yesterday, I think. Uh, 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 And he was saying that basically he didn't believe that there were any more guns available now than there ever were. Surely that's not the case. It must be easier to buy a gun now than it was. It, it, it is because I, because criminals like him. Look, Mike, if someone's got a gun, if you're a gang member, he's got a gun, what are you going to get? You're going to get a gun, you know? And that's what happens. It fuels violence. If they know that we, the police, can't protect them, then most gangs are going to protect themselves. Yeah, if, if, yeah because they, what, if one man gets the knife, the next man's going to get a gun. It's well, it's like, the old, uh, it's like the old line from Goodfellas, isn't it? You know, the, the mob is, is basically the FBI for wise guys. They couldn't get protection from the police. They have to get it from each other. Exactly. So, so what we want is, is a two-stage approach. One, we need short-term law enforcement and long-term working with them. Some, they, they, like they did in Scotland, they had a lot of stock and search in Scotland, heavy prison sentences. While they were in prison, you could work with these people, because it, it's a family, gangs are family. You need to break that family link. Once you work with a break the family link, you can work with them, get them jobs, education, but it, you need a two-stage approach. And the first approach is to enforce the law. If you don't enforce the law, you get chaos. And we explained this before. It's the fourth year of the massive increase in these crimes. And it's going to continue, and it will continue until someone says enough is enough. How many more black kids have to die, and how many more people have to have to suffer because of it? Until they give us the amount of numbers and the powers in force law, there'll be more deaths. Mark my words: there'll be more killings, more stabbings, more shootings. Not just in London. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Across the bridge. Colin, can I can I ask you about um, other areas that are succeeding in this? Because I keep being told that both in New York and actually in Glasgow, interestingly, they've done um, 
they've made real inroads into reducing both knife crime and you know violent crime um, and sort of gang behaviour. Now, my understanding is that I mean New York, I think it's been more of sort of you know really what you might call aggressive policing, but in Scotland it's been this violence reduction unit um, that's really concentrated on on knife crime and. I'm often told also that one of the problems with stop and search is that if you're stopping and searching primarily looking for drugs, that's what, rather than looking for knives or crime, that that's, that that's when it can become something of, of, of a wasted time and actually increase bad feeling rather than increase a feeling of security. Um, what do you think particularly about the New York and Glasgow examples? Well, like I said to you, I mean, I mean uh, the New York thing was very aggressive, uh, lots of stop and search. Um, it was targeted at people committing the crimes. A lot of people didn't like it, but it was effective. It, it, the crime numbers went down. Glasgow, that's a myth. That's a myth they like to put around by the Guardian about this. this well, yeah, if, if you listen, like, um, Diane Everett always mentions this Scottish method, and so um, so does the Guardian. But if you actually speak to the cops in Glasgow, they will tell you, yes, they did work with these criminals. They did have a strategy. But first of all, it was law enforcement. As I said to you before, they had heavy stop and search, heavy stop and search, and they long prison sentences. Once they're in prison, they could work with them, look at their families. So, yes, but, I mean, everyone, the Guardian, like Diana, always concentrate on the second bit, but they never mention the first bit. <laughs> well, that's standard part of the course, Colin. Listen, thank you. We've got to run. Uh, Colin there uh, calling in from Newcastle. He's uh, uh, working in the police force at the moment, of course. Luckily, we've got a guy uh, who's – you're going to be very happy with this. Devin oh, Gelani, right? He started something called Policy in Practice. He, he wants his, his, his love in life is to make government policy simple to understand. I do love that. Now, I love him already. I don't know why we haven't had Devin on before. <laughs> Devin, a very good afternoon. Hello, very good to very good to speak possibly, to you. Possibly the most noble guest we've ever had. I mean, if you actually are going to make government policy more simple uh, and easier to understand, then you've got my vote. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about what you were saying about the tax code and uh, other aspects, and there's a lot, lot of government policy to make simple. Our focus right now is on the benefit system. Yes, indeed. Trying to make, people, uh, make it easier for people to navigate if they find themselves in difficulty. Well, that is one of the difficulties of the benefit system, isn't it? I watched a programme last night, I think it was Dispatches on Channel 4, which was all about universal benefit uh, and how that was impacting on, on some of the most sort of unfortunate people in our society. I mean, it was one of those difficult documentaries to watch because almost everyone who was being interviewed for it had a very, very difficult personal sort of life choice that they had made, you know. Some of them were suffering from depression. There was a single mother who was suffering from ME. And all of their failings and failures through the benefit system were kind of caused by their inability to understand what to do. Yeah, it's not just... I think there are two things. One is... The benefit system itself isn't always the driver or cause of people being in difficult situations, yeah. but it can compound um, challenges people face if they lose work or if they face a financial shock. It should be there to help and support you. But actually, for a lot of people, uh, the way the system uh, is currently structured uh, can make it incredibly difficult to navigate. And I think yeah. the challenge for universal credit is going to be, yes, it's, it's sort of coming in as a simpler system, but keeping it simple as as you know uh, there's always going to be that temptation to turn it into a thousand page bible because there's a tweak here or a tweak there that helps this and group actually the value of simplicity in government policy is too often lost and devon don't you think one of the problems with an overly complicated system is that it means there are experts and people who are not expert and the experts in the system will inevitably be able to work the system play the system and they're the people that everybody else resents because you know the people who are managing to get more than they really should do because the comp- the system is so complicated that, uh, that that some people can benefit from the complications 
I think it's even worse than that, actually. I think if you if you're if you're stuck within the system, you by nature become an expert. It's a bit like um, Pele. He can you know he doesn't know the astrophysics of cur- curling a football, but he can he can definitely hit it right. <laughs> I think that's the position a lot of people on in the benefit system find themselves in, and it's a real waste of their energy, talent, potential in having to navigate a complicated system and. If you can make it simple and always send a message that actually if you do the right thing, if you uh, move into work, you'll always be consistently better off. That is a positive message to to send out to people. Now, what about the message coming from Esther McVeigh, who is Work and Pension Secretary, of course. Uh, later on today, she's going to be saying that tens of thousands of families who were relying on state handouts have actually now got jobs because the benefit cap more or less forced them into it. Uh, first of all, is that a correct statement? Um, and if it is, then that's surely a good thing. Yeah, I think yes and no. So the yes part is we did our own independent analysis on on households who are affected by the benefit cap in London, working across 19 London boroughs. We looked at um, how many of the people who are affected by the cap, how many moved into work versus similar households that weren't affected. And we found very much the same thing. So households affected by the benefit cap were um, three three and a half percentage points more likely to move into work as a result. Mm -hmm. But the complicating factor is, is it because of the benefit cap? Or is it because of the amount of help and support that households affected by the benefit cap were getting from local authorities, from their job centre? There's a huge amount of attention on this policy. Because it's the in vogue, because it's the in vogue policy that everybody's watching, that then more help is going into those families. Is that what you're saying? Well, well, let's not let's not dismiss that. The fact that there is more help going into these families and they are going into work is is a really positive thing. Um, but actually, I think the question you've got to ask is how much of it is, could have been achieved if we just got the, if we just do better at getting the right support to families that need it, and how much of it is the benefit cap, which, by the way, definitely does help people who otherwise weren't uh, to to engage with engage with the support that's available right. to help them. So we've definitely seen that in some of the local authorities, and, and a couple of comments from frontline advisors we work with has been, you know, they were originally when the benefit cap first came in, they were struck by the level of um, need that some of these families had, and they just weren't getting it. Um, but the benefit cap did did help them to engage. The other side of the coin, though, is, yes, some people are moving into work, and that's definitely a positive story. There are also people who are affected by the benefit cap who aren't um, or who haven't yet. And I think that's that's a group of people where, Again, there's still a lot of support going into trying to help those people rather than but, but just to stay in their homes because the benefits uh, that they're getting aren't covering their aren't enough to cover their rent. And that is the, that is the problem for an awful lot of people outside of the benefit system who work quite hard because the majority of the people in this country do work. Many of them don't work yeah. for very much money. Um, and an awful lot of them feel quite resentful, I think, of people who make more money or appear to have more money disposable income-wise than they do, even though none of them work. And here's where uh, you can maybe help me with making policy simple to understand. 180,000 households apparently have had their benefits capped since this policy was introduced by Ian Duncan Smith, OK? Of these, 48,000 no longer have their payments restricted under the cap because they've now begun claiming working tax credit. So, I mean, there's no, so there's no net gain to the taxpayer because presumably they're removing as much in working tax credit as they would have in benefits. No, I will help you to. I'll, I'll help you get to the bottom of that. Okay. I think what they're, what's happening is that they're receiving less than they otherwise would have done right. um, under the benefit system yes. because they're in work. So as soon as you start to earn, your, your your working tax credit and other payments are reduced. But more importantly, that's a family that's now in work. No, hang on. Your working tax. Surely your working tax credits go up if you get work, don't they? 
um, your earnings go up. Right. And the amount the state contributes goes down as your earnings increase. That's how. That's how. No, no, no. But I'm talking about people who have moved from not working, right, and yeah. claiming benefits to working, and now claiming working tax credit. So they're now getting working tax credit, which they weren't getting before. But their benefits have gone down because they're now working. But I think Devin's yeah. saying that the taxpayer's bill will have also gone down. Really? They're still getting a form of benefit, but right. not. Is it, Devin? Am I right to say that? Yeah. So compared to the benefit cap not being in place. They were getting quite a lot of money. Right. Now that now, in order for them to get the support they need to stay where they where they where they where they live in a high cost area, they have to be in work, and that's the intention of the policy: is that now these families are in work, whereas otherwise they weren't. Right. And that that's the, that's the intention of. The no, policy. no. Listen, I, I'm totally with that. I'm just slightly confused about the working tax because I personally think working tax credit is a completely and utterly opaque system which nobody understands, and I've, I'm very much against it on the basis that you know basically what we're doing is we're some subsidising low pay, subsidising companies to pay people less money than they can get away with uh, if there was otherwise no working tax credit. And I think until they get rid of that, then, you know, it's a kind of nonsense, isn't it? Well, I think equally it's a cost of living problem. So if you're, if you're living in a high cost area you uh, and you move into work, sometimes for people to be able to just earn enough to be able to live in that area on low earnings, mm. Their, their 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 income is being topped up because of the cost of housing in that area. That's just is it, is, is it geographically works. based though? Yeah, it is geographically is it? based. So, uh, well, certainly the housing sorry the housing benefit side of it is geographically based. The working tax credit. No, working is, tax credit is not, is exactly. it? No, but but universal credit, um, which is coming in across the country, is a little bit more closely linked because it brings housing benefit and in work support all into one. I've uh, got another caller here from uh, Kent, whose name is Bill. Bill, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mike. What would you, Daisy. What would you like to say, Bill? I, I was just calling in. You were talking earlier about uh, Nobel Prize, mm. um, and. I mean, I'm pretty amazed because basically you've had two great armies in Korea which have been facing each other since the Korean War. The Korean War was never officially over. And it's been really sort of bitter down there. And now they've had virtually a love fest where you know, they've been holding hands and skipping around and everything. Mm. And it's a combination of Trump, President Z, and probably other people behind the scenes. But I think it was Trump's sort of art of the deal where he started out really sort of bellicose was insulting him, Rocket Man, and all of that business. And then it got a bit nicer. Then he brought him in. And I actually think for that, he de- deserves the Nobel Prize. Because, I mean, before that, Obama got it just for sort of turning up. He'd been in president for a few weeks. He got the Nobel Prize. Yeah. And nobody knows why. No. And here's something which... Well, no it's because he, more, he made a speech in Berlin, didn't he, at which he said he was going to rid the world of nuclear weapons. And everyone went, that's a great idea. Let's give him the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, unfortunately, we still have them. Well, also, actually, under his Obama's reign, the nuclear weapons in the States actually increased. Yes. Which I don't mention. Yes. But um, coming back to Trump, um, through the fact he's a businessman rather than a politician, I mm. think, served him well. He played people off against each other and so on and so forth. Something has happened which other presidents going back over the last 50 years have not been able to achieve. Peace in that region is pretty amazing because it was one of those hot spots like the Middle East that could have sort of kicked everything off. And if it does actually result in them having peace, the guy deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. And do you know what? If Hillary had done it, Obama done it, or anyone else had done it, the American press would be crawling on their hands and knees to worship. They would. 
I mean, funnily enough, as, as you're calling, Bill, there's breaking news right now on our TV screens about how Kim Jong-un uh, has held a meeting uh, with uh, President, uh, uh, the president of China, President Xi Jinping. Uh, and apparently they're still talking more about the meeting they're going to have with Donald Trump. So, so it's moving apace, isn't it? Yeah, it's the old Churchill thing about George or not World War. Yeah. And I think this is the way forward. And, you know, his methods, a lot of people probably don't like them because it's not what politicians do, but they do seem to work. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly you're absolutely you're right. Bill, about. thank you very much indeed. In fact, Trump is tweeting already this morning. Oh, yeah. That means he's up early enough to listen to our show in America, in the White House, in his briefing room, right? He says, I'll be speaking to my friend President Xi of China this morning at 8.30. The primary topics will be trade, where good things will happen, and North Korea, where relationships and trust are building. Well, but so, that's you know, absolutely right. Yes, well, I do. I totally appreciate there is, there is, there does seem to be method in his madness. I just wish he didn't go about things in the way he does, which is, you know, so very un, unpalatable. He's, well, he's, he's one you won't like. He's having to go at John Kerry, oh, yeah. who I have to say I've never liked. Okay, yeah. John Kerry, a guy who sort of uh, made up a story about Vietnam, was not, in fact, in quite the same situation yeah. as he made himself out to be. You know, nobody said, "Oh, this guy's actually fantasist. He's a liar. He's come up with a with a with a sort of narrative about his." time in Vietnam, which is not true, right? He said, and it's not even his real name, he changed his name to Kerry because he thought it would help him politically during the Kennedy era because it sounded more Catholic. What was his original original, name? I think he's originally Jewish, and so he's got a Jewish name. But he changed his name to John Kerry. Now, how can you say... That's a sad indictment of not of him, but of the time, surely. Well, not necessarily. It's a ti- it, well, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a message that the guy is not who he says he is, right? Anyway, here's what Donald Trump says about him. John Kerry can't get over the fact that he had his chance and blew it. Stay away from the negotiations, John. You're hurting your country. <laughs> It's great, isn't it? It is very, very good. And I have to say that um, people haven't particularly liked my fancy dress. I've, I've been asked, was I going as Donald Trump? <laughs> and was I going as a llama? <laughs> yeah. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.